Hello, welcome to the next episode of Made for More, where we're exploring mobilization, pandemic, and beyond. Regardless of our circumstances, God has designed the church to join him in his mission. It's not so much the church has a mission. Actually, the mission has a church. And today we're going to be exploring how is it that we mobilize all of God's people God's way. And uh, you're obviously a part of this conversation today because you care about that. So props to you. Uh, thank you for being a church leader who wants to see God's people activated on mission. Uh, you need to know that's precious to Jesus and it's precious to us. And we're hoping today to add value to your life. We're hoping today to maybe provoke you a little bit. Uh, by the way, I want to remind you, uh, you can drop your questions into the chat. Uh, we will have time at the end to address some of those questions. Um, we'll make sure, uh, I can't promise we get to all of them, but we'll definitely get to some of them. And I want to introduce my, my friends, uh, my brothers in Christ, uh, guys that I would charge hell with a squirt gun with. Um, both of these men are so dear to me. Brian Phipps. Hey, hey. He's the uh, president of Disciples Made, one of the most prolific disciple makers I've met in the Western church. And then another dear friend of mine, Myron Pierce. Yo, yo, yo. He's the uh, on point with Mission Church in inner city Omaha. They're a network of hope dealers and villages. He'll unpack that a little bit later. And then also he's the lead catalyst for every inner city. And uh, I'm one of the directors of the Kansas City Underground. And uh, we're also a decentralized network of missionaries and microchurches and a mission agency here in Kansas City. And Kansas City Underground in every inner city uh, are attached at the hip. We want to walk together to see gospel saturation in every inner city. And so I'll follow my run wherever you lead, man. Uh, I heard that. Likewise, man. I love when you said you'll charge hell with a squirt gun. I'm like, man, I need a Uzi, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I need a Uzi, G. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, thanks for being here, man. Really appreciate you investing the time. I, your story to me is one of the most compelling stories that I've heard and been able now to experience in uh, the last season of my life. Um, and it, it's so encouraging to me. Even today, we're leading right now here in Kansas City. We're hosting for Exponential, the uh, Multipliers Learning Community. And we're walking through actually the made for more of the shifts. And I was telling our story and, uh, and someone said, have you ever really seen this uh, work in the inner city? And of course I can tell them about Daryl and Steph here in Kansas city. But I said, let me tell you about my friend, Myron. In fact, get on the webinar today. <laughs> wow. You're going to get to hear up. firsthand that uh, the things that we're talking about today transcend culture and uh, it's working all over the world and it'll work wherever you're at because the, the church that Jesus designed is, is not captive to any culture. It transcends every culture. Yeah. Skill, and, man. and the gospel uh, affirms certain parts of every culture, critiques parts of every culture, and it transcends every culture. It's actually the ultimate culture that one day can rightfully integrate every tribe, every tongue, every nation, so that all that uniqueness is celebrated, but also redeemed. 
and integrated. And one day people from every tribe and tongue and nation will give maximum glory to Jesus. And uh, so anyhow, thanks again for being here today. I want to start out with a really important question. If you were on a desert island and you could only have one meal and one album, what would it be? I'll let Brian say that first. <laughs> one meal and one album? Yeah. Yeah. Just go into the, the same time. Island. Same time. You can oh, have this meal so and listen like, to this album. Oh, album. Gosh. It would have to be Boston's first album. Nice. <clears throat> and I'd have to do it with brisket and mashed potatoes. Woo! I'd, I'd, I'd show up for that. <laughs> okay, mine would be uh, there's a place on the south side of Chicago called El Taco Real. I would get the queso fundido con chorizo, nachos especiales, and the album would probably be The Joshua Tree by U2. It's a good one. Yeah. Never heard, never heard of that music before. <laughs> As he <laughs> as he leaves, what happened? Did the second coming happen? <laughs> if only had, oh if only gosh. had one, if only had one more one meal, it would be um, from this local joint here down the street from me called Time Out Chicken, mm. and uh, I would get a three piece wing combo with the with the uh, with the um, with the roll, the Hawaiian roll, and um, and the fries. And then you gotta get the jalapenos with it. So them joints are like this big. Like they from they like from you know the promised land. And uh and then you have to get the strawberry pop with the with the cherry turnover. You you just gotta Ooh. do that. And um and then I probably will be I'll probably be listening to some McCray or something. I'm riding with my top down listening to some Jesus music, probably what I'll be on. <laughs> You're, so you're bringing your convertible to the desert islands. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to have your gig there. Yeah, just save your gas. Save your gas. Well, uh, it's amazing. We're pretty deep into this season already. We're on the fifth out of six shifts in the Made for More framework. I'm mobilizing God's people, God's way. And every single one of these shifts is funded uh, by a chapter in Ephesians. And so we've looked at the shift from more effort to more Jesus. That's about gospel saturation. And the gospel being the nuclear engine for everything we do. Then we looked at the shift to more masterpieces, which is about helping every single follower of Jesus understand that you are called to be a disciple maker. But within that primary calling, you have a personal calling. And uh, as church leaders, we need a calling discovery and deployment process to help people discover where the Lord has sent them. The, the third shift is from more guilt to more love. Um, we aren't hired and sent to be the uh, motivator of God's people. Uh, the motivator of God's people, his name is the Holy Spirit. And, the, and it is the love of God that is the inexhaustible source of motivation. And so we need to create cultures of discipleship to help people abide in Jesus and experience the love of God in community we had a great session on that one. We looked uh, a couple of weeks ago with Alan uh, about the fivefold, uh, the five voices of equipping that need to be heard in every church and every movement if the church is going to become mature and full. Um, and balancing those fivefold voices 
of, of the apostolic, the prophetic, evangelistic, shepherd, teacher. And this week is about the shift from um, more programs to more mission fields. In other words, if we want to see our cities filled with the beauty and justice and good news of Jesus, instead of having a mindset where, okay, I've got to figure out a strategy on how to do that or programs that can get that done, what we realize is God has sovereignly already assigned his people in every corner of culture, every sphere of society. I don't have to do the organization. God's already done it. But what I have to do is equip people and activate them so they begin to plant themselves and plant the gospel in the mission field that they've been sent to. And as we see those mosaic of mission fields activated, the beauty and the justice and the good news of Jesus begins to fill those mission fields as they're planting the gospel and making new disciples. This is a very different way of thinking than is common. Um, and most of us, myself included, Brian, I think Myron would admit this too. Um, most of us, when we look at the church in terms of mobilization, we tend to begin with the idea of volunteer recruitment. How do I recruit volunteers to be part of programs to help the church thrive? And we are for that. Um, that can be done in a way that's meaningful and does help um, encourage transformation in people's lives. But what we want to get into today is if that is the end zone, that we will have done a great disservice to the people of God and to the mission of God. Uh, so with that said, um, Myron, I was wondering, uh, could you, as we, before we get really deep into the topic, can you just share some of your story personally and how uh, God has birthed Mission Church and, and uh, every inner city? Yeah, man. Thanks, bro. Um, well, just quickly, I, I grew up in Omaha and uh, grew up in the hood uh, in poverty. And my mama was on crack. My daddy was on heroin. And uh, out of that birth, really a, um, a, a propensity towards gangs and drugs and violence. And by the time I was 16, I was uh, facing a prison sentence of 100 years and um, Went to prison, got out, and uh, was only out for like five months. And that five months of being out ultimately led me to stand, standing right back in front of the judge facing 200 years in the penitentiary. And so it was in that um, moment, March 21st, next week will be my anniversary, March 21st, 2002, at 1 o'clock in the morning, I fell on my face before God in the jail cell. Hmm. And said, God, I'm destroying my life, but if you change me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And so that really began my journey of walking with Jesus while in jail. And as I awaited sentencing, God just began to speak to me about my future and where he was calling me back to mission field, right? He's calling me back to the same neighborhood I was a gangbanger in. Come on. He began, he began to tell me that he was going to raise me up to be a leader in my own community. And I was going and I was going to bring hope. And so armed with that promise, they sent me to prison and uh, with a 16 to 33 year sentence at the age of 19 without parole. I wasn't supposed to be getting out for a long, long time. But uh, God had different plans. Seven months after I got sentenced, the law changed. And uh, over seven years later, God opened up the door, went to a private Bible college school. Uh, got a major in business and biblical studies. And in the middle of all that, met a dude who was doing some inner city work, had a mission agency called Abide. 
that existed just to mobilize the church into some of the most volatile broken places in the inner city. And it was through that um, we launched um, this amazing work of uh, really ministering to people like me. And out of that came, or out of that emerged a spiritual family. And, um, and so through that, um, I've, I've had several opportunities to, um, to really pioneer uh, the idea that every inner city matters to God and this explosive dream to saturate every inner city with diverse, hope-filled um, leaders and churches has emerged. And so I now get to, re- to lead a, a, a local family um, called Mission Church. And um, many, many leaders and churches have um, arisen as a result of our heart to saturate every inner city. And so married to Kristen, we've been married for 12 years this coming May, four kids, 10 and under. And uh, yeah, man, so that's kind of the, the backdrop to kind of where we are today. Myron, it's awesome. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, how do you, in that particular setting, uh, activate people into becoming missionaries? Like what are the pathways what are the tools that you use to help uh, develop people into that? I mean, you went through it yourself. God kind of guided you through a custom activation plan. It sounds like a powerful one at that. But what are the ways that you do that within uh, Mission Church there in Omaha? Well, I think what I had to do was, so when I was in prison, um, the Lord just really ministered to me and grew me up and um showed me really what it took to, to, for him to mobilize me into my pathway. Problem is when I got out, the church ruined me. Um, and I'm not saying specifically our church, but the church culture ruined me and all these different things that scorecards that was kind of inconsistent with my paradigm for church, um, actually. And, and so really, man, over the last decade, it's what I've learned is, in our context, man, um, number one, relationship matters. Number two, we realize that in order to inspire people towards their missional pathway, you need an incubator. We do it in business. We do it in uh, places like Silicon Valley, the Y Combinator. Like we, we provide, you know, incubators. And so our church has several missional incubators. One of those incubators is reentry. So we do a lot of work in the hood with people who are getting out, right? People who are trying to get out and stay out. So we provide an opportunity for them to transition into what we call a hope house, right? So we like to mobilize our people into mission work inside North Omaha by getting them next to brokenness, right? I mean, their pastor is a former resident, right? And so by proximity, um, they get that people get people are mobilized into um, our community engagement opportunities, right? Where, where we are serving our community by bringing our community together, right? Black, white, brown, right? And so we have these different incubators, which, which I think is important to people finding it, finding their why, finding their initial unique calling. Um, and, and I think what happens is oftentimes, uh, 
in, in Christendom, our incubators become the end and not the means. Hmm. So, Unpack that a little bit more, yeah. Yeah, so everybody, okay, so everybody connected to our tribe, our family, it's understood that we are chasing one thing, unleashing unprecedented hope, like in, in every inner city. Like, so if you're connected, I love what, what a leader said. A lot of times people want to know what their why is without being connected to a family. And you get your, you get your why when you connect to the family of God. And it, it, it destroys this individualization of the gospel that isn't present in the good news of Jesus at all. Mm. We look at Barnabas. Barnabas finds his why when he's connected to his tribe. And so what should happen is as you're connected to a tribe, the tribe exists not for itself, but for a mission, right? Yeah. What, what often happens is we, tr we truncate the gospel because we individualize it in such a way where it's about us instead of the work. And so yeah. when you think about these incubators we have, they don't yeah, they exist because we want to unleash unprecedented hope. That's our way of unleashing hope. But we want to mobilize every single person, every single missionary, and we call our missionaries hope builders. We want our hope builders to be inspired by reentry. We want them to be inspired by engaging the community. We want them to be inspired by our entrepreneurship pathway that we have for people helping them shift the way that they think. We want them to be inspired by ministering to the local schools. Um, the next generation of, of kids. We want them to all be inspired by that, but but we also want them to innovate. We want them to innovate by discovering who God has called him, uh, them to be and where God has called them to go. What field is God calling you to occupy? Excellent. And and yeah, and so historically, how how we've how how I've done this is is I've. I've, I've allowed for inspiration and then coaching. I've just done one-to-one -one coaching. I, you know, I've just coached. Typically, I've been church planters that I was actually coaching. We had a whole residency and things like that. But the more I live, the more I leave, the more I realize that our church has to be a flat platform where anybody and everybody can be mobilized into the things of God, right? And so, his, so that's how we've historically done it. In, in meeting the Casey Underground, the Underground in general, um, one of the things that's been helpful for me is they are highly like they have a lot of systems and structure. And for us, like I'm not opposed to system and structure, but how we've typically done it is we've just coached people to greatness. One to one. I've just kind of taken the Jesus model of like, all right, you're going to walk with me for a while. Right. That's not scalable. Right. But what is scalable is what we call the hope builder pathway. And the Hope Dealer Pathway um, has been adopted from the Casey Underground. And it is a micro and a macro pathway. So, so, for example, here's how this works out. In our extended family called Mission Church, people are discipled. People are mobilized into incubators, these missional incubators. But as they are inspired, now they have a structure to work through that I've always had. Right. I've always had a structure of, hey, it starts with prayer. You have to move to outreach, get out into where God has called you to be. And as you make an impact, disciples will emerge. And then a simple church is the result of that. I've always that's always been my coaching pathway. Mm. But the only problem is you can't like it's only one of me. 
And so now through this partnership with Casey Underground, we've actually adopted the missionary pathway and turned it into the hope dealer pathway. And now at a micro level, more people can be mobilized. And then at a macro level, I was always having problems with, I have all these leaders from all over the country, inner city leaders. We're like, Hey man, we, 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 we need training. We need, and I've done training and I've done coaching, but now I'm able to take these leaders at a macro level and take them through the hope dealer pathway um, in a cohort fashion. And it's been the game changer for us. You know, um, I'm going to bring this up for a second. And uh, this is, can you, can you all see that? Um, so when Myron's referring to the missionary pathway, um, what this is, is a overview of the phases that a new missionary goes through in a missionary endeavor where they're planting themselves among an unriched pocket of people to plant the gospel and make new disciples. And our mobilization pathway is about penetrating lostness with the gospel. One of the things we want to bring up, you know, is when you look at Ephesians chapter five, um, Paul is basically saying, make the most of every opportunity. He's saying, wake up, O sleeper, arise. If there was a more relevant passage for the church in the West, I don't know what it is. The church is filled with so many wonderful people who believe in Jesus, uh, but they have not been activated. They're not making the most of every opportunity. And what Myron here is talking about with incubators that then launch people into pockets of lostness is a, is a ancient mobilization pathway that God is restoring in this time. You know, Brian and I have led in large churches a lot of our life. And to be honest about the mobilization pathway that most churches have created, it's about activating people as volunteers in the programs of the church. And, and God does work in and through that. We're for it. Um, but what Myron is highlighting here is that the end of our mobilization pathway can't be programs at a church. It's about activating all of God's people into their calling as missionaries to make new disciples. So there's five phases here. Um, and I'm just going to hit these real quickly. And these actually come out of the life of Jesus, the early church. And then if you look at great disciple making movements around the world, you'll see the same pattern. There's five phases it begins with extraordinary prayer and fasting. And uh, in other words, you don't get to skip the upper room. In other words, you don't get to skip the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, you see this in the pattern of Jesus' life, the early church, uh, and every missionary has to learn how to go forward as fast as they can on their knees. Um, and the number one skill of any missionary is hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and responding. And prayer is where we begin, and it is the undercurrent of all mission. So we teach missionaries how to pray, two forms of prayer, listening prayer and missional prayer. Uh, phase two is live as a missionary. We have to teach people basic missionary rhythms. We talk about begin in prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. Uh, five basic missionary rhythms that if you live them consistently among an unrich pocket of people, uh, you're going to see Jesus draw people to himself. And what's going to happen is you're going to get to plant the gospel. And if you plant the gospel, 
you're going to see new disciples. And as you have a new network of new disciples, guess what happens? The church emerges. So we don't talk about church planting because most of the time when people are talking about church planting, what they're actually saying is, how do we start a weekend service? Or how do we start a meeting? What we want to see happen is new disciples and new spiritual families emerging. And I love one of the things I got from Myron is we have to stop talking about org charts and start talking about family trees. And the church has been talking about org charts too long. It's time to get back to family trees. And then, and then phase five is multiplication of new disciples, new missionaries, new discovery Bible studies, new um, microchurches and networks of microchurches. So Myron, um, talk about how it is that you're contextualizing this for the hope dealers in the villages in, in inner city Omaha. Yeah, I, I said something the other day with some leaders we were on with, and I said, it's not about um, creating, it's about curating. And, and so, like, the missionary pathway was already a pathway that I was coaching out of, living out of, but I just didn't have the system and the structure in, play in, terms, of, in terms of scalability. Right. And so for us, we don't have we don't have five. Um, multiplication is implied and ingrained throughout the whole pathway. But we just have four steps and, and, and it's pods. Right. P.O.D.S. Right. We can teach people how to hear the voice of God and where he's going. Teach people how to outreach, reach out in their pockets of lostness according to how God has wired them and the, 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 the people who God's called them to. And then as people can, can be impacted, relationships are formed where we join God in disciple making and then simple churches emerge that can multiply. Right. And so in our context, um, that that's been the shift we've made. And, and then as, as we've adopted the missionary pathway, I quickly started training around it. Why? Because all of a sudden there's a scalability factor where leaders who have been asking me for years, hey, can we can we do this? It's really accelerated our, our growth um, and it's accelerated what God's called us to do. And, and it's just been super dope. I remember one of the things that um, I, I've just been amazed at is uh, the integration of hope dealers and villages and commerce. Yeah. So, so can you quickly help people, first of all, just define for them, um, what's a hope dealer? What's, what's a village? What's your yeah, strategy with villages? And how does that, how does that intersect uh, commerce in the marketplace? That's good. So I think every leader needs to know and have framework for what is a disciple um, and even what's a missionary. So we've defined disciples and missionaries as hope dealers. Here's why. When we look through the New Testament, we, we find one thing that's clear, hope. Now these th three things remain, faith, hope. Hope is in the middle. Jesus died in the middle. He's called the hope of glory. Paul said, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. So we need, we need a, a framework to work from. And, and so we've landed on a missionary is a hope dealer. You know, like all of us, you know, it's there. There's glaring brokenness that is a lot more visible in sections like ours in, in, in inner cities. And so one word that resonates with us is 
hope. And that is the heart of the gospel. And so for us, we're trying to give people a framework for how to deal it, how to deal hope. And, and, and it's what we hold every single person accountable to. Right. So I sit down and I'm and I'm I'm, I'm in an intentional disciple making relationship. I'm asking them the first question. Hey, what how'd you deal hope over the last week? I want to know. Right. And so when we think about every inner city and specifically Omaha, inner city Omaha, we said, let's get after lostness and let's get after impact by geographically breaking down the inner city into villages. Now, I've since added not just villages, but populations of people, because I realized one of the guys, one of the missionaries we're raising up right now is he's hitting, uh, let me say, villages and segments of populations. So he's hitting one segment um, in the inner city that is that's that lives in multiple villages or geographic locations. So God's like enlarging my scope of understanding how to get after impact so, and awesomeness by saying, Hey, well, that's probably what we would call an affinity group, right? Like it's a certain, it's like a certain Second, psychographic yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's, so one of our missions, he's like, it's youth and kids. Why? Because his background is the NFL and the inner city. He grew up in the inner city and made it to the NFL. Right. And so those that's, that's, that intersectionality is happening, right? Um, where he's drawing kids from other, from every village. Now there's going to come a missionary who say, you know what? I really want to focus on, because right now our, our spiritual family is focusing on village one. We have another uh, micro church pastor who um, is focusing on village two. Again, it's a specific geography. There are 15 villages in um in North Omaha and over 70,000 people who would say they're part of North Omaha, right? And so for us, we, we, need, we need, you know, we need over 500 missionaries at okay. least. Here we go. I want to highlight this for people. So Myron is starting with the first shift, more Jesus, gospel saturation in North Omaha in the inner city. He can name the blocks that he is owning the lostness in, Okay. And I think this is a great example for church leaders. Like, where has God sent you? What part of the lostness in your city is God calling you to own? Like, I'm going to join you, Jesus. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to own this with, with you as your people joining you on mission. It might be your zip code. might be a two-block square area. Don't get overwhelmed by the size of it. Just ask the Holy Spirit what part of our city are you calling me to own and saturate with the gospel? Myron's crystal clear on that. Secondly, now we're getting into like shift two and five. He's like, I need 500 missionaries who know their masterpiece mission. You know, I need 500 mission fields activated. You, know, you see how he's sort of, he's working the gospel math. It's like, here's what we're owning. Okay. Now we have to be a prayer movement and a training movement and I need a pathway and I need tools to equip them. See, this makes my heart race. It's like, if we have and, leaders and, and, doing and, and, this in and, every city, it's going to change right. the game instead of like, how many people and can the, I get in my box on a weekend? And the, and the macro, the macro, every inner city vision, you know how many missionaries we need? A quarter of a million. We need 250,000 missionaries to saturate every inner city. Okay, Brian Pitts. <laughs>
Ryan Phipps, I want to ask you, you've been on that journey. Pastor of small church, pastor of traditional church, pastor in a mega church. And the Lord brought you on a journey in that structure to begin activating missionaries from within. So it's not an either or. Like Myron is, and Casey Underground, we're kind of building from scratch this new model. But God's really used you effectively within the prevailing model and still are. You're still part of a prevailing model church where you're a mad scientist. You're the, you know, helping awaken missionaries. So <laughs> talk about this from that angle. Like everybody who's on this web webinar right now is going, man, I'd love to start over from scratch, but probably not going to happen. I, I'm working in the prevailing model. Where do you start? Where, where do you begin? I, you know, Myron used a phrase that I thought was really key. You know, he says, when I intentionally enter into a disciple, an intentional disciple making relationship, and I don't think anybody has an unintentional disciple making relationship. I just don't know the degree of intentionality uh, they have. And I would start by just saying, get intentional about the outcomes you want to see accomplished in those relationships that could be one-on-one one-on-three it could be one-on-twelve i mean it seems to me if you're going to follow jesus model with that you kind of aim at all of those the one-on-one with the father the one-on-three like peter james and john one-on-twelve with the disciples and uh and we've got ways to do that at disciples made that we can unpack but basically just say i want to be about helping you cultivate two things And these are the resources that the Spirit provides for you to actually become that hope dealer that Myron's talking about. I want you to have hope that people can change because you can change. And he can make you more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, and good and self-controlled. That's hope right there, right? And that's called the fruit of the Spirit. So this disciple-making relationship is going to help you accomplish that outcome. But the Spirit also does other, uh, another remarkable work in people. He deposits spiritual gifts. And those are listed throughout Scripture, teacher, administration, uh, healing, mercy, whatever those gifts are. Everybody has at least one. And I'm going to help you intentionally figure out what your one, two, three, or four are. Your top two or three is the idea. And where's your, where's your passion? What, what village are you called to? You already know it. You may just not have articulated it. And how can I help you leverage those gifts to use them more intentionally in that village or that area of passion? And at that point, if you're helping people get to that, you've already sparked the heaven spark within them and you just get to coach them. Or what did you say earlier, Myron? You, you cheer ate them on? <laughs> you cheer ate that? Is that what you said? Like you just become the cheerleader, the coach, the champion? I'm just, I'm just a cheerleader, man. I'm just, I like to call myself the corner man. Yeah, that's the big shift, Rob. It seems to me if you get more intentional about developing character and calling or the, the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, you no longer have to try to push people to be a disciple. That was one of the big things, I, the burdens I carried a long, long time in the church. I feel like I've got to push people to want to be a disciple. And when they really figure out that those two at those two efforts that the spirit has in changing us really create uh, an aha and a potential for hope. They give them hope that they can become people uh, that are lovable and can love and they're meaningful and they're going to leave a legacy. So that's what I would do. 
Well, and I've, I've, when I started on staff at the church prime was already at, he had created something called followers made. And it's a six month journey that you go through in a group of 12 with triads and you invest into them for six months to um, become disciple makers, to grow in character and then to grow in calling clarity on calling. And what I saw happening when I stepped into that story was remarkable to me because it was people who had been believers, kind of church consumers who were becoming disciple makers and discovering their calling. And uh, what happened is, you know, Brian and I started to walk together over five to six years. Uh, we built out something else called Missionaries Made. And that really helped people get activated as hope dealers where they live, work, learn, and play. Uh, there was the development of a calling discovery and deployment process. And now we can literally tell hundreds and hundreds of stories of people who have discovered their calling here in Kansas city and are making new disciples all over the city in new contexts. And it's remarkable, but the Kansas city underground, just for everyone to know, it wouldn't have existed if that work hadn't done and been started inside the prevailing model church. So I just want to give everybody hope. You don't have to oh, yeah. start as, uh, you know, every inner city or Kansas city underground, you can start with 12 inside your current structure. And, uh, and then that's what Jesus did. In, he started with 12. <laughs> build in reproduction. Change the world. <laughs> so Myron, uh, back to the hope dealer pathway and uh, back to um, one of the things that's been really fun to watch as, you know, your stories unfolded is um, a lot of your hope dealers have um, ended up being called to start new businesses which is then sort of their platform for planting the gospel and making new disciples. And I think what the story that's unfolding there is really a picture of a new kingdom ecosystem that needs to start happening um, in cities all over. And it, again, it harkens back to the original story. Again, this is more implicit in the text than explicit, but in the new Testament, you get a picture of how the early church grew and there was the oikos, which was the primary social structure of the Greco Roman world. So when it says the jailer and his household, that's an oikos. And what was happening is the gospel would hit the oikos and new disciples would emerge. And that oikos basically gets flipped and turned into what we would call a microchurch households of faith. But the thing that we forget is in that world, every oikos was built around a vocation. So it was like the masons or the potters or the jailer <laughs> and that like your whole household was built around a vocation. So actually what was happening, it was this like fusion of commerce with church, with disciple making, with and. And, and now in modern day faith, we, there's kind of that sacred secular divide. And a lot of times uh, business leaders at best feel like the church is asking them to write a check. And, and what you guys are cracking open is that ancient story in a new way. So um, unpack what's been happening with kind of the fusion of disciple making, micro church and commerce. Well, you know, the, I talked about our missional incubators. Um, one of them is entrepreneurship. 
And so we saw a great need, and I have been seeing a great need, especially in places of poverty where injustice is rampant. And um, there's a reason why um, typically black, to be black in America is to be poor in America. There's a reason why black folks only spend 2% of our disposable income with one another. We were taught that, Hmm. right? And so um, one of the cool pockets of impact we've been able to see is to help people discover who maybe not aren't, maybe not, they're not, they're not even Christ followers, but we, we, we're walking alongside them in this mission on incubator called Shift to help them shift the way that they think about themselves, about their lives, and to spot opportunity to scale, prop, to scale solutions that, of, of, of problems that people are having right in their own backyard. And so consequently, um, many have begun also not just this shift journey, but many are being discipled, right? And it's key to who we are. I'm not just a um, catalytic leader for every inner city. I'm not just a local church pastor. I'm also an entrepreneur, lead a digital marketing agency, Village Social, right? And this digital marketing agency enables me to uh, put food on my, t- on my table, uh, on my family table, but then it also gives me an opportunity to infuse resources into the work that we're doing right here in the inner city. And it's become a model for how any missionary who's connected to us, any whole builder connected to us, can yes, launch a viable company, but then use it as a platform to um, infiltrate the lives of people. And it's been beautiful. So one of our guys, um, so amazing, like he did 10 years in the feds uh, for, you know, for crime, got out. Um, We entered into an intentional disciple making relationship. Um, He went through our incubator. Uh, He now leads a company, a catering company. And he's using now, and now he's one of our, he's on, he's on our leadership team of our, our shift incubator. Uh, he's a recruiter, right? And so he's going back into these same spaces uh, that he was doing all this crazy stuff. And he's recruiting people to shift our mission of incubator, which is then opening up doors for these dudes to be disciples. And so the cool thing is, um, and I didn't even tell him, but I was setting him up to lead a micro church um, <laughs> with, with these guys that he's recruited. So he's he's like this micro church leader. And I finally broke it to him the other day. Um, the guy sitting around the table that um, have been impacted as a result of our mission incubator. And I said, hey, guys, um, hey, we're we're a church. We're a family. <laughs> right. And he's leading it. <laughs> right. Right. You know what's amazing, bro? We've seen that here in Kansas yeah. City, too, where people are living as missionaries and they're making new disciples and they start living in rhythm together with worship, community and mission, because those are like the minimal ecclesiology for us. When a, when a group of people is living around the Lordship of Jesus with worship, community and mission, and I'm telling you, about half the time, we are the ones to help them realize, no, this is a microchurch. You're leading a microchurch. I'm like, no, I'm what? Like, no, think about it. Let's break it down. Do, have you made new disciples? Yep. Do you guys have rhythms around worship? Yeah. Community. Yeah. Mission. Yeah. What is that called? <laughs> right. It's called the church. And they're kind of like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like your guy, like, I am? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
so crazy. It and, is. Uh, and this population of guys have been in and out of prison. We, we actually meet in this room right over there, mm. straight. And, and uh, it's just been this beautiful, like, tapestry of what God's doing, man. Amen. Hey, we got a question that just came in from Chris. Brian, I'm going to ask you to, uh, you know, take the first swing at this one. How do you handle the divide between the way we started and current reality? And he put in parentheses, the large launch model and the way we want to head decentralized while also having the Sunday gathering. What are some practical first steps in your opinion? Uh. Yeah, thanks for tossing that here. I think the the first thing that's the most practical thing in the world to do is just make a mental shift in your mind about which one serves the other. Oh, oh, here we go. Keep going. Yeah. Like a lot of people think I've got to do either or, um, but I don't think that that's necessary. I mean, it'd be ideal if that's if you wanted to completely you know, cut your overhead in a significant way or something like that. But to me, it's like, I don't have to stop changing what I'm doing. There are many valuable things about it, but I can leverage uh, the, the things that we have to start creating missionaries. Like we said earlier, to start with the 12, Jesus did. He didn't go into Jerusalem and try to set up a competition for the, the temple worship. He went to the backwoods, picked 12 people with okay. a, probably a fairly blank slate, and he started to plant new kingdom seeds in them. He started to raise up missionaries. And uh, you can do the same, the same thing, start planting that more intentional disciple-making rhythm into a few. How'd you get those few? Probably from your small group system. Where'd you get your small group system? Probably from your weekend service. Where'd you get your weekend service? Probably from your community outreach efforts. So it's like you did all that work to get people in proximity. Now leverage the proximity to start changing who they are and through them multiply that influence out. You won't have microchurch leaders, perhaps, you know, that way for a year and a half to two years, maybe three. But you start discipling right, you'll have a better church because you'll have much more uh, filled and called people helping do those ministries within the church. But you'll also have people that have an aperture, a vision that God's put in their heart uh, to go outside in the micro enterprise, like Myron's talking about. In the macro enterprise, you got, I'm finding my new church audience for me personally um, is, is these business owners and business execs. Uh, I've just fallen in love with these people more and more and more, and and they are hungry to make a difference in the world, and they've got resources and capacity to do it. And so, anyway, that's that's the first practical step: just choose which one serves the other, because you can have small groups and discipleship environments that support making the weekend happen, or you can say, no, we'll leverage the weekend to make the development of missionaries happen. It's huge. You know, um, Myron, I'm coming to you next. I'm going to add one thought. Uh, another thing that I think can be a game changer long term is rather than just having a volunteer recruitment system, you employ a calling discovery and deployment system. And um, that's one of the things that we developed at Westside together. And we used to do an assessment that helped people find a volunteer role. And we basically blew that up and said, what we want to do is create an assessment that helps you find your personal calling. And uh, that became the book, Find Your Place, 
the assessment is called Gifts, Passion, Story, GPS. Uh, we actually created a process to train what we could call calling coaches. So after people go through the assessment, they can sit down with the coach and start a debrief process that helps them identify their next steps. And that coach is there to say, how's that going? Did, did, did it really feel like you got further into your calling zone? You did? Awesome. You didn't? Okay, let's keep experimenting. Let's look at some other steps. Interestingly enough, it actually helped our volunteer system because now it, it was a meaningful step on a journey towards a calling, not just a role in a program to help the church succeed. And uh, so if you're interested in that, I uh, just dropped a website in there. You can find out more about the book. You can take the assessment for free. Uh, Brian's actually going to do a, uh, a meeting afterwards for anyone who wants to dig a little deeper into that. But Myron, let me bring this question back to you and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Uh, what, what are some of the practical first steps in your opinion for those that are trying to move decentralized, but they still want to keep Sunday, you know, moving along? Well, well we have, we still have Sunday. So like our model, like four years ago, um, we, you know, like, I, again, I've, I've been in a shift, but so we have a, we have a Sunday morning gathering. We call it, a, first of all, we made the shift in language. That's We're important. Making the shift in, making the shift in language doesn't have to cost you anything, but time and re repetition. And so our, our, our Sunday morning, it's not a service. We're not there to serve you. We're there to gather as a family. So we shifted language. We shifted the purpose. We're not there to attract our village into a Sunday morning gathering. We already have missional incubators for that. <clears throat> so because we're not there to attract people, number one, I can now switch and allocate my time better. I don't have to, I'm not doing no, no damn 20, 20 hour sermon, Fred. I'm sorry, we ain't doing it. Um, I'm just going to live out of, live out of God's word. I'm going to live in community together and journey together through the book of Galatians over the next couple months. And what God ministers to me, I'm going to share with our, our family, right? Sorry for cussing. Um, and hey man, you stay in Galatians and the fruit of the spirit will grow in you and you won't do that anymore. There you go. You're right. You're right. And then, and then, and then we'll, um, uh, well, uh, another shift we made was, um, the shift from rows to circles. Mm. So our gather, our gathering. So the language is, Hey, we're going, we're going to sing together. You didn't hear me say the word worship, right? We're going to, um, I'll, I'll say a few things I'll speak and then we'll share. So, so we, those are set up. We're set up in, in, um, in tables. Love it. And then within, within tables, we have a discipleship model. Well, we asked five questions. How'd you deal hope this last week? Right. We read through the chapter together. Right. And we, and hope head, head, head is, how would you summarize the chapter in two words? Heart. What is God saying to you? Hands. What are you going to do about it? Help. Let's pray for one another. Right. So, and so, so over time we made that shift, right. Even within our gatherings and, and then, throughout the week are other disciple making opportunities, right. That we call small groups. Yeah. Right. But then those people who are in small groups, right. 
are then deployed into missional incubators that we have as a church. And then as they have inspiration, right, for their personal calling, then 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 they'll be assessed, coached, trained and supported. There's that pathway we were looking for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were asking about. <laughs> He's got a path. <laughs> no, I I love so, what you're doing. Yeah. You're you know, you're within what has been the weekend service, quote unquote. You're shifting from teaching to training. You're you're yeah. shifting from enter- entertainment to empowerment and equipment. Yeah. You know, you're shifting from spectator to community and conversation. Right. Yep. You know, and so now it's a very it's very catalytic. Uh, it, yeah. It'd be very difficult for someone to come four weeks in a row and not actually begin to change and engage mission. And that's that's yeah. beautiful. You know, and Brian, yeah. your example of hey, you start with shifting your mindset, and it's true. You know, and, and Myron's sort of the extrapolation of what that looks like when you shift your mindset. So, listen, guys, this has been amazing. Um, it, I'm so grateful to be on the journey with you all. And I'm so glad that Expo wants to thank Expo for platforming these conversations. Um, and want to let you know if you're interested, uh, Myron, if they want to learn more about every inner city um, and what you're doing, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, MyronPierce.com. Okay, MyronPierce.com. And then uh, if you're interested in learning more about our calling, discovery, and deployment process, you can go to findyourplacebook.com. The link is in the chat. But also, Brian is going to hang out afterwards for anyone who wants to have a conversation. The Zoom link is in the chat. You can see the uh, meeting ID number and the passcode. Brian, uh, anything you'd like to say regarding that? No, I don't have, it's, I don't have a presentation. I'm just going to see who wants to follow up with this. If you've been inspired by the things Myron has said, or just about this conversation, I'm happy to hang out uh, and just answer the question, the particular questions that'll be on your hearts. I don't have like a presentation or anything. Awesome. Also okay. just want to let you know, uh, be looking to hear from Expo uh, in May. There's going to be another great gathering, just like the one that happened about, about a week ago, future of the church summit. This one's going to be built around the idea of reset. Uh, so we have an opportunity that COVID has given us to reset. Um, and there's no reason we should waste this challenge that COVID has given us. We have an opportunity to begin to reset. Uh, some of the very things we talked about today, it's going to be phenomenal. So I'll be looking for information from Expo. If you're subscribed to Expo, you know you're going to get a lot of emails about it. <laughs> <laughs> no one communicates more than expo and i love it all right well hey thank you so much I want you to know we're meeting again in two weeks we're going to be in ephesians chapter six and we're going to talk about how the church was made for war and made to win and we're going to get into um how is it that we engage spiritual warfare as the church you start living as a hope dealer and start pressing back the darkness in a village you're going to run up against some severe demonic opposition and you're going, you're basically going to the front line. And if we're not prepared for that battle, um, we will be undone. We have an enemy who wants to kill and steal and destroy. And our guest is going to be Daniel Strickland, who's um, a church leader that God has really raised up in this hour with a very prophetic voice on this topic. 
we're honored to have her. So uh, be back in two weeks. Uh, Brian and I will be here with Daniel Strickland and uh, grace and peace.